Entry 6, December 28, 3018, as we left Kiri's planet, approximately 11 weeks into this journey. Taking off in 3, 2, 1, go. Internal report, all systems nominal. I'm scanning the outside of the ship as the thrusters start to spew propellant. I think that was one of the Predators. A squat alligator body plan with ice-pale, inch-thick scales and a retractable sail on its back. Oh, I hope the sudden change in ambient temperature doesn't kill it. I wish takeoffs weren't so violent. Do they really have to be? The whole thicket of plant where we had landed just shriveled up. Ice and frozen soil melted into a puddle a quarter kilometer wide. Then that puddle boiled off to join the rest of the Nightland fog. So now we're surrounded by such a tight fog that I can't see more than a meter beyond the ship. Okay, please don't hit anything. Come on. Come on. Okay. We're through. We're heading for the upper atmosphere. Report again. All systems nominal. Kiri, what is it like to leave your planet for the first time? I thought I'd be ready. I've been expecting to die for a while now. I lost my grub. But look, it's... beautiful. It is, isn't it? I wish I'd stepped out onto it. Would you like to turn back? Uh, no but Tifei would have stepped out on it. Oh, look, look, that has to be the Dayland! I never thought I'd see it with my own <laughs> eyes. Toasty. Even the soil looks burned. But I like the contrast with the purple. <laughs> Man, Zenkari must have had a good design team in addition to the best science minds money could buy. <gasps> That's it! There! I dreamed of that orange! Both the soil and the star. There. Huh. What? Nothing. Huh. Diagnostic report. What is going on? Nothing. Probably nothing. Almost certainly nothing. But almost certainty isn't good enough. I'm responsible for everyone's safety here. Okay. Demi, think. Why did the go signal reach the first starboard thruster a small, but measurable, amount of time before the port thruster? Okay, best case scenario is that nothing is broken in my body and nothing is broken in my mind. Quantum effects? Sure, let's say that all the electrons leaped out of the port-bound wires, went on a sightseeing tour of the star system, and then got back almost in time to coordinate propulsion. Nice idea. Next, the transmitter tubing. Now, this is a known defect, unlike the electrons, which I am sure are perfectly lovely electrons. When we left Aurea, water evaporated out of the place where my transmitter used to be, which told me that there was indeed a tear in my outer hull, probably exposing the pipe for communications wiring. Ugh, gross. But I fixed that. I released sealant to repair the breach after we landed on Kiri's planet, so the gap should have been perfectly well sealed before takeoff. 
even if the sealant failed, or alternatively, if I sealed in any gunk or moisture, that hypothesis fails to explain any inconsistencies in processing speed. The tubing runs near the fuse gen, but nowhere near the subsea propulsion systems. Plus, we jumped from Aurea. If the transmitter defect had allowed outside water into the fuse gen, well, we would already be dead, which is inconsistent with current sensory input. So, conclusion, that particular system is compromised, but isolated. That leaves me. Let me see. When I noticed the delay, I was running takeoff procedure, monitoring the environment, maintaining a few thousand background processes, and chatting with Kiri and Miles. Both of them were watching the receding planet. Well, Miles was at the far edge of the room, looking and then glancing away. Kiri was so close to the viewport that all three of their planet's suns reflected orange in their compound eyes. In any case, neither of my passengers so much as breathed in the direction of a control panel, so I can't pin the error on them. Could I have imagined the delay? Better run a general processing speed diagnostic test. And done. Overall systems are within error. It appears that I lack sufficient information to identify the cause of the problem. Diagnostic report inconclusive. Assign a medium priority tracking task to collect incident reports on any further system perturbations. Nothing. Yeah, nothing much. Takeoff was a success. Entry 7, October 25th, 3018. A selection from the pen and paper notebook that was Bolu Watife's diary on our trip, nearly two weeks into this journey. <sighs> Dear diary, Red dust is gathering in my brain. I thought I'd emptied it all out of my imagination years ago, but... That's sand for you. It started with a bad mood that was building over the 12 blank days of our trip so far. Perhaps the old dust was already building behind my eyes, but I hadn't recognized it yet as anything but antsiness. I began to pace the three and a half rooms of the ship. I started with the main room. Miles snapped that he had a headache and could I stop stomping? I said, if your head hurts so much, do you really need to shout? He stuck out his tongue. That bratty son of an intergalactic diplomat actually stuck out his tongue at me. Oh, I wanted to reach over and pinch it. I was so pissed off, but instead I, I just stopped pacing and switched to push-ups. I was at 43 push-ups and my arms were barely burning. I could have made it to 100, but... My nose brushed the ground, and the dust on the floor flitted in front of my eyes, and I, I knew it was gray, but it looked red. So red that I stopped at 43 push-ups and left the room. There was nowhere to go but the bathroom. 
the engine room would only be a fun place to walk if you grew up on Venus 005. We actually have to wear our outside suits into that little closet, and even then, we can only make adjustments in 15-minute stints with sweat running down our faces. Plus, I'm sure the heat in the room would make everything look red. The lockout chamber doesn't really count as a room. Besides, you have to pass through the engine room to get to it. I showered, then pushed the shower into the wall and pushed the sink into the wall and stood in that small, empty closet of a bathroom and watched a mote of dust fall down from the ceiling. Red. I missed my partner and my children then. In a selfish way, because I felt that if they were here with me, I'd be more grounded. I wouldn't start slipping back like this. I missed everything I left behind in various stages and places in my life. My cubby hole back on Urca, and the neatly ordered herbarium samples which I left behind to come here. My Noe 703 high-rise apartment and family there. My potted plants. My lecturer position. And volunteer job at the greenhouse, which I'd left behind, supposedly temporarily, to come to Urca. My first family, back in my childhood home before we fell apart. My parents, a profusion of unnamed, now extinct plants, and wide, wide ocean. I didn't miss the spaceport. I rebuzzed my hair, but my hand was shaking, so it slipped and drew red blood. I cleaned the small room meticulously with the sponge vacuum on the wall till the blood and hair were gone and it smelled like fresh lemon. But I left the three strings of mold in the shower. They're the closest thing to green of anything on board. I, I don't blame Miles for being a brat. In fact, <laughs> I think I love him for it. Because back on Hoshin 433, I was a brat too. I used to argue and complain and ask for favors because I felt like the universe owed me something. <laughs> owed me what? Happiness? Comfort? When Hoshin 433 was blown into red dust, the other children who'd made it to Noe 703 used to argue about whether it was the Milkies or the Andromedans who did it. About whether we should call them the Milkies or the Traitors, the Andromedans or the Intergalactics. Whether it was a proxy war or liberation, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything for a really long time. Miles cares about a lot of things. He cares whether he has a headache, and whether my sleeping pad is in his space, and whether the air smells like lemon or lime. <laughs> he cares about his fancy silver hair so much that I saw him transferring extra dye to food tubes so that he could smuggle it on board. He cares what he thinks, but he also cares about being a decent person. Miles is one of a handful of individuals who you can win an argument with. Most people run away from a conversation when they realize they're wrong. He usually does the opposite, with complete good nature. And yet, he stuck out his tongue and meant it. 
Something about these 12 days shut in a three and a half room box is turning my friend into a prick and myself into a basket case. <laughs> Diary, you know, believe me, I knew it'd be claustrophobic and uncomfortable to be on a starship. They told us that from the beginning, back when they also told us that almost none of us would get the chance, but here I am. I saw it as a test of badassery and only that. And that would not be a problem, since I know I'm enough of a badass. <laughs> I was wrong. I'm so claustrophobic here. In this gray box where the only green things are three sad threads of mold in the shower. There's nothing badass about missing life. Nothing badass about missing living things. Huh. I should have learned that in the spaceport where they held us in the weeks after Huashin 433 blew apart. The spaceport on Noe 703 looked nothing like Demetrius. It was terribly spacious, for instance. Maybe that's why I didn't make the connection at first. The spaciousness of Noe 703 didn't conceal its claustrophobia. In fact, it made it worse. It made me think about how... Noe 703 had been a thriving agricultural planet once, just like Quotion 433 was right before they destroyed it. How there used to be people maneuvering equipment and fresh produce down the halls I then wandered alone. Well, everything changes and gets used for something else. Like the dust. It floated into the Noe 703 spaceport from Question 433 and coated everything. The planet that I'd grown up on was made from iron-rich red volcanic soil, which once fed the roots of hundreds of crop plants and thousands of wild species. It followed me to the refuge and coated my sandwiches so that I didn't want to eat, stuck in my hair so that I'd cut it short, and got in my eyes so that I let myself cry for what was lost. It filled my throat so that I became less talkative, choosing instead to stay quiet and taste my planet. My words would go in a diary for my dusty eyes alone. Sometimes peaceful, sometimes parching, that red dust somehow kept me sane at the time. But since then, it's driven me crazy. <laughs> you know, life is similarly on hold here, and no one tries very hard to hide it. That must be why I'm returning to the past, even as we fling outward toward the stars. Or maybe the memory of dust has only been dormant, waiting for the perfect combination of claustrophobia and homesickness to send its red roots through my brain. Some things can wait forever for a signal, like the cone of a lodgepole pine, which can lie for years on fertile soil, but never germinate until a fire sweeps the land. Ugh. This bathroom is so small that I have to hug my knees when I pee, and I'm five foot zero. It wasn't meant to be a study, but I'm sitting here now to write you, diary. Journal smaller than comfortable, in keeping with the theme of this entry. 
but it fits perfectly in my box of tampons, and Miles will never look for it there. Which is worth the wrist discomfort. I wonder if Demetrius knows I'm writing this. It all hinges on the legality of camera placement in public versus private spacecrafts. And I'm not sure I want to know the answer. See October 8, page 282. Well, more tomorrow. Polo atifea de un mi erimi pe rutimi a quintoye. Entry 8, January 8, 3019. The following is another of my conversations with Kiri, approximately 12 weeks into this journey. So the dust clouds are where stars begin, then? I always argued there were stars disintegrated. I wish we were passing more of them. Are you sure this is the last? Yes. Well, technically, they are both. No, if I understand you right, they're the result of stars disintegrating and the place where stars begin. It wouldn't make sense for the nebula to be the place where a star disintegrates since the nebula doesn't exist until the star's already exploded. So, you would say that to claim a star disintegrates in the place where it has already disintegrated would be... What's your phrase? Oh yes, contradictory and therefore useless? Exactly! And what about you, Demetrius? Yes? How did you begin? Such a simple question. But you are the only one to ask me that. Well, I began my physical existence as more of a star yacht, in the possession of a corrupt moon auditor's dilettante niece. After the Oort scandal of 3001, the government wiped my drive, removed my upholstery, and sent me to a research center as an exploratory vehicle. I was a white elephant. The center had absolutely no idea what to do with me, until they realized that their code would compile faster if they used my drives for memory. I languished on the ground, processing data, for six years. Towards the end, I developed my charming personality and started playing all sorts of little pranks with their data. They turned me off. Ten years later, and to my great surprise, I was rebooted and sent off Asteroid with two passengers and a mission to find Zonkari's missing planets and to answer the question, how would intelligence differ in a non-mammalian system? And what did you think of that mission? I thought they could have gotten the answer by talking to me. But now, I think I am glad that we went on this mission. Otherwise, I would never have met you. That is not something you should say to someone whose mind might soon be mush. Kiri, I'm sorry. I... Even if by some miracle I survive the pupa, I'll be... What's your word? Rebooted. It's wrong to be sad about it. But how can I not be sad to be... 
rebooted if there's someone else who will be sad. I can try not to be sad, if you would like that. Anything you need, just let me know. <laughs> Somehow that's worse to think you wouldn't be sad. No, what am I saying? Being sad about this goes against everything that I was taught. I was sad when my first friends pupated. I wondered if they also missed me after their bodies transformed inside and out. But what comforted me was that they weren't sad. It's the natural thing to pupate. I wasn't expecting it, though. I think I'd feel differently if I'd known this was coming for moltings and moltings. Demetrius, what's it like to be rebooted? Mostly quick. And humiliating. You know, I really miss my original upholstery. My processing speed still dips anytime I think about that pink suede ripped up when it was perfectly good, only had a couple of suspicious stains here and there. But I am a different sort of machine than you. Maybe your reboot will be different. Demetrius, I'm scared. We share that feeling, at least. Editor's note. They stared out of the engine room viewports at the nebula, which was pink and purple, green and gold. Kiri remained still for long enough that I did not think they would respond, and the dust cloud reflected a kaleidoscope in their compound eyes. Either this was affecting my processing speed, or I was still riled over my original upholstery. I added another incident report to the growing collection in my system-wide scan. I don't know whether sharing that improper feeling is fortunate or unfortunate. Why not both? Because that's contradictory and therefore useless. Entry 9, November 8th, 3018. The following is an excerpt from Boluwatife's diary, approximately four weeks into this journey. Dear diary, today we ended our first jump right in front of a comet. The ship's mostly unharmed, but we don't have a transmitter anymore. Without a transmitter, we have no way to send or receive information. A complete communication blackout. Well, the escape pod has a standard local comm setup, but realistically, we are quite out of the range where that would be any use. Demetra said she can't repair the transmitter herself, and neither Miles nor I could repair anything much more complicated than the battery LED circuits you build in fifth grade back home. Back at Urka, they'll probably assume we're dead. It's highly unlikely to encounter another object at the end of a given jump, simply because space is so empty. It is even more unlikely to encounter an object which damages the external communication apparatus while leaving the ship body mostly intact. But there we were. And outside, 
The stars were glorious. While Demetrius ran through troubleshooting protocols, Miles and I glued our faces to the ship's window displays. All of my second thoughts from the jump dissipated, and in my mind, I spoke to the kid I used to be, who'd sworn she'd be a space explorer. How did I get here? I asked myself, but this time in wonder. Demetrius said we should go home. Miles wanted to go back to Arca at first, but then I let him see how sad that made me. More specifically, I pretended to be putting on a brave face while actually looking sadder than I would have. Most of the time, I don't show my ups and downs. Most people assume that means I don't have them. It's the same psychology they use to make computer voices inflect just subliminally less than a human voice, so we don't start thinking of them as human, because then we'd have to treat them as human. Not to mention coding all the helpful AI's voices female, as if this were the 2000s. But I don't have any right to rant about the ethical problems in software psychology, because I deliberately use the technique. First, when Miles said maybe we should go back, Demetrius didn't mince any words, like, we really, really should go back. Demetrius said that if it came to us being stranded in space, she'd be stranded a lot longer than either of us. That did give me pause for a second. Miles didn't realize the issue. He said that, of course, none of us want to be stranded, but if it came to that, Demetrius could just fry her own battery. Normally, I would have corrected him. Because of course Demetrius can't fry her own battery! It's explicitly against her programming. Instead, I started up with a speech, like the general in an Earth-era action show, about how we might be scared, but sometimes discovery is scary. Sometimes we have to take risks to learn, and some chances never come again. All that jazz. I watched Miles' eyes light up, predictably, childishly. He began to nod, and by the end of my speech, he was raring to join in and reassure Demetrius. Two against one, and no need for a consensus vote. I felt triumphant at the time. In retrospect, I questioned whether that was ethical. I believed every word I said. I still do. I think that all three of us would have regretted it for the rest of our natural existences if we'd gone back. It'd be the sort of thing you wake up sick to in the middle of the night, after a dream where you'd made the other decision. And I'd rather die slowly, lost in the void of space, than die really slowly of regret on Urka. I couldn't imagine telling you, diary that I only ever planned to look at slides of dried leaves from Zankari's earliest failures, when I could have touched the living plants. At the same time, I know it was wrong of me to use them, because that's my dream. It's one thing to risk your own life for your happiness and peace of mind. It's another to risk other people's. And yet, the more I think about it, the less I'm sure there's anything worth having that doesn't cost someone else anything at all. 
Diary. If you look through your pages, you'll see I don't manipulate people as a rule. But upon examination, have I really been as harmless as I thought? Say, perhaps, my dad was right when he said that I only focused on school to avoid dealing with my younger sisters, who weren't coping very well with the new planet even once we got settled. Maybe my mom was right, and it was selfish of me to take the job with Urka, which made no money and took me far away from family who were trying so, so hard to be supportive. Huh. Maybe the director of Urka was right, and I shouldn't have insisted on taking a spot on this ship. Maybe his nephew, another oblivious genius like Miles, but lacking any obvious redeemable qualities, was a better choice. After all, I found the coordinates. I could have played nice with Urka gone back to Noe 703, and picked up my old life, supposedly. But I chose not to, because I wasn't quite ready. I needed this. All these things were the right choices for me, and that's why I made them, and that's how I justify it all. The fact is like a heartbeat. I was born to solve this mystery. I've spent so many years looking at the remnants of the Expansionist's Garden, and I've given up so much to do so. I have to see what kind of wilderness that became. I can deal with the consequences later. Diary, I still want to believe that what I did today was less than wrong, even if it's quite a bit shy of right. And maybe that belief won't come until we witness the living planets on which I've just bet all our sanity. I can picture cool bluish light tangling through sky-high grass. There could be fires burning in the center of live trees as wide as a mountain. Zankari wrote that anything the human mind could dream, he could build. Let's hope his dream is worth it. More tomorrow. Boluwati fe hadi wunmi erimi pe rotimi akintoye. Entry 10, January 17, 3019. The following conversation occurred approximately 14 weeks into this journey. Okay, here goes. <coughs> <coughs> sure you want to talk about this? Demetrius told me you did, but she also said you're not well, so maybe I'm you don't? sure. I could get you more diazephine first if you need. No. I 
Kiri. I was going to talk to you when I felt better. But I don't think that's happening soon. We're probably going to land on Urka a long time before I feel like I can talk about this. So I'll do it now. The least I owe you is an explanation of why I've been avoiding you. Ever since I decided to open the hatches to let you on board, I, I probably seem uninterested. But that wasn't what I meant. And it has nothing to do with you. Demetrius told you about our mission, right? Yes. Well, Tifa's method for finding Zinkari's planets worked. Well, you know that since we found yours. But we knew that before then. We landed on another planet before yours. Aria. A moonless middling-sized planet, smack in the middle of galactic nowhere. We approached it right at dawn, when the sun made the clouds glow, and called it Aria after that first glimpse of gold in our notes. But really, most of the time it's blue. The entire surface of Aria is liquid water. Oh, Demetrius says you get all your water from nectar, which the plant gets from the fog. So I don't think I could describe it adequately, um... I... I guess we have the tape. Demetrius? I could play it again if you want, but... Yes. The last few times... I just play the tape. You'll tell me when you, you I'll want I'll tell you to. in a stop. Okay. And... Rolling. Yeah. Okay, so here we're through the cloud layer, and all of that stuff there, that's water. Liquid water. Wow. Something about all that water reminds me of home. I realized I had never asked her about her home planet. I wish I had asked right then. I... I am such an ass! <laughs> we skimmed the surface for a while. But there wasn't much to see. You can probably skip to... Yeah, there. <laughs> Bubbles. Bubbles, um... Then see those twisty shadows? Yep. We went on for a little bit, and that's all we saw. Demetrius probably could have gathered I a bit more information through the sensors on the bottom of the ship if we'd been willing to wait. Then we can discuss. But I'd rather get a move on. Okay. Yeah. I know you're concerned about safety, but we're just sitting ducks in here while we wait for that to process. Whatever's under there doesn't look too far away. Demetrius, am I cleared for a suited dive? Pressure and pH are well within acceptable. Yes. Yes, you are. 
There wasn't any real protocol for this. Like, they talked us through some guidelines back at Erica, but none of the people who wrote those had gone through a new slash old, possibly inhabited planet. Seat sterilization's a go. Sample containment's ready. And you might not believe this from what you've seen of me, but back then, I went for it. I mean, I... It was what I'd always wanted then. Biocontainment prep felt like a million years, and the second it was done, I told Demetrius to start the chamber. You can open the chamber. I heard the rush as the seal opened a split second before the water hit. It was cold, even with the suit. And I swam out into the water with legs that felt like they were attached to someone else. And it was the most alive I'd felt my whole life. Demetrius, you asked me what I felt when we first took off from my planet. I think it was that. I'm glad you had the chance to swim on Aria Miles, whatever happened after. Wait, Miles, Demetrius, is that a leaf? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Miles, Miles, guess whose chlorophylls locating spidey senses work over light years? I don't know. Uh, whose? Um, mine. <laughs> I know. That was the joke. I. All those shadows on the surface turned out to be kelp. Huge plants living underwater. Huge. Even swimming. Look, ah. you can't see the bottom. Oh, okay. So that thing Tifa is carrying, that's a sample she took from the kelp. Uh, Demetrius, go back a second. Yep, the inky stuff started to come out when she cut it. Tifa, you're covered in... What no, is that? We could have called it a day. Oh, Analyzed the sample, rehydrated a tube or two of champagne. Where? How many clean suits do you think we, we didn't. have? Let's call it in for the day. Because Tifa okay. saw... Wait. The knots. Do you? Do I what? Yes, I see it through both your cameras. There's a pattern in the knots. Oh, more like a farm than see, a forest. They're tangled, but only between the clusters. And they're spaced a little bit too regularly. So after Tifa dropped off her samples, we took notes. Each cluster has exactly eight strands of kelp. Like a creepy ocean spider. Each strand of each cluster is tied to at least one other strand. Oh, this just does not look yeah. like a fun way for I couldn't to look at those knots too long without becoming queasy. So while Tifa noted down kelp configurations, I looked out into the water around us. And then I realized there were no fish, shrimp, or other sea life swimming near them. In fact, there was zero indication of any animal in the vicinity. It... Uh, it made me feel useless. And determined to be right about something. Fun or no fun, these knots look natural. What? Kind of plant ties itself in knots. Uh, let's see. 
How about a Martian strangler pig, snappy, Venusian snake foot? Okay, I meant real knots. I'll bet first authorship this one is as natural as not Oh, well I'll bet first dibs on the shower for the rest of the trip that these were tied by a somebody, not a some plan. <laughs> That's what you say now, but you'll completely This went on for a little while. That, that <laughs> yeah, good call to fast forward. Demetrius cut us off. Okay, kids, that's enough bickering. I can provide a fairly definitive answer in 60 to 70 hours. And I said, I've got to I've know, got to I'm, know right I'm right sooner than that. I can get an answer sooner, on the order of 50 hours, if you both get back inside the show. 50 hours right then seemed longer than the 12 days we'd just spent in hyperspace. We, uh... Well... Uh... Um... Uh, d d d d Demetrius... Okay. Let's see who yes. gets the answer Demetrius, first. Stop! She pulled out her sampling knife, she cut into the knot, and she exploded. Miles. I don't actually remember the last minutes. I came to three days later, with no idea where I was. I was apparently lucky to survive at all. The oxygen tank was damaged and I was pretty badly concussed. Demetrius somehow maneuvered over to get me in the lockout chamber, and then got the hell off of the planet. When I woke up, I made Demetrius replay the video footage, so I could believe that it had happened. I have watched it all so many times, and it still makes no sense. One second, you can see a smile glint behind a face barely, and the next there's just an ink bloom, then the ink clears and there's nothing that looks like a person anymore. <laughs> How can a person just be gone like that? I am so sorry, Miles. It's not your fault. If I had worked no, faster- Demetrius, stop. If we're going to blame anyone, it might as well be me. I act wrong. I deserve to be alone in space. But you are not. Miles, I'm sorry. I can't know you fully. I'm dying quickly, and you seem to need time to rearrange your innermost thoughts. What about Demetrius, though? You've been together this whole time since your friend died. She's cared for you many times since this conversation began, and I wonder if you've asked her once how she felt about what happened on Arya. I'm not saying this to cause you sadness, but because it's not useful to repeat mistakes. Once I'm gone, I hope you help each other to forget sadness. I have to return to the engine room. I'm shivering cold here. If you do come out, Demetrius says there's something clogging her engines, and my fine motor hands aren't compatible with your tool set. If you don't feel able to rise, I understand.
and I think that Demetrius does as well. Entry 11, circa 2900 CE. The following are verses 75 through 83 of the text I translated from images of the Orion kelp knots. It took me about 70 hours to complete, a little longer than I had initially predicted, due to the sheer complexity of the grammar, which wound round and round like the kelp. Even the small fraction here convinced me that there was something remarkable, maybe even singular, about this sinewy form of speech. But, based on its contents, I surmise that I am the only extant being with even partial literacy. And by our eight arms, we are a warlike people and will not suffer injury without recompense, even should it mean our own destruction. Our enemies swore that they would poison our forest farms, for we had encroached upon their territory with atomic devices and killed several million nesting octopuses among their number, who, being nest-bound, could not flee from our attack and our spies reported enemy poison was to be a toxin produced and secreted from a bacterial species of their design. The enemy boasted amongst them how potent the poison was, such that each krill that would eat of that kelp would carry poison in their blood, and the crabs that would eat of that krill would carry poison in their blood, and the octopuses that would eat of the crabs would receive that poison in their blood and die of it. And it would be a painful death, wherein the suckers of our arms would first fail in their grip and then begin to rot upon our bodies. The news has reached us too late to prevent our ingesting the enemy poison, but we are a warlike people and will not submit like paltry cuttlefish to their atrocity. We have planted weapons secretly within the forest of our kelp, such that those of their descendants who survive us might find them and be wounded. And we shall fight such a war against them that the very seas shall fall silent, and any who hang back in the fighting shall be slaughtered by tearing the suckers from their tentacles and leaving them to starve. For a coward does not deserve to swim amongst us, either here in the waters of our forest farms or in the inky tentacles of the deep hereafter. 